climate change, drought, famine, poverty, war, disease, natural disaster, pollution, corruption, apathy, sea level rise. That is not what this presentation is about. Humboldt State's Lonnie Grafman is an engineer who would rather focus on getting stuff done. Practical activism. What it's about is the countless solutions that already exist. Right? All right, I'll clap for that. Yeah, sure. As a technologist, as someone who teaches engineering design, I really believe that most of the solutions to our problems already exist. Right? It's about it's about equity, it's about distribution, it's about figuring out how to work together and make those happen. So what does that look like? He calls it practivism, and it's kind of like this equation of creative engineering plus community expertise equals a sustainable solution to a local problem. This is Mike Drockers, and you are listening to My Favorite Lecture. These are remarkable talks from HSU educators, and you're about to go globe hopping with a practivist. Lonnie Grafman will take you to Puerto Rico, to the Dominican Republic, to Mexico, even right here in Humboldt County, California, where he asked the audience, there's this invasive species problem. How would you eradicate it? What are some things we could do with the invasive beach grass? How could we eradicate it? Maybe start easy. What do you got? Yeah. Goats. Goats. Goats are a good, goats are a nice, like, Humboldt answer to a lot of things. We're like, why don't we get a goat? Very few other people in the country, in this country, say, we should get a goat. <laughs> so as you can tell, this was recorded live at the Plaza View Room in Arcata, California. Stick around after the lecture. There were audience questions. They were phenomenal. So three things you might want to know going in. First, as you heard, there are some sections where he asks the audience to participate. We're going to shorten those for the radio show. Second, this is a very visual radio show, if that makes sense. Grafman shared a lot of photos. They are gorgeous. And this is radio. So get creative with your imagination or pop over to khsu.org. We've got his pictures sequenced to the lecture. You'll also find links to pretty much everything he references. So if it's new to you, stuff like Ron Finley, the Gangster Gardener, or Swale, or Apropedia, we've got those resources at khsu.org. So you can ride along with the talk online. And lastly, Grafman cares a lot about the environment and appropriate technology and sustainable solutions. And since he's so energized on the topic, it's easy to forget that the environment and the people who depend on it face severe challenges. So as the room was filling up, we were talking a little bit before the lecture. I asked him, how do you stay so optimistic? I think that the more involved with projects you are and working with community members, it, it's hard not to be optimistic. I mean, there's, there's so many people doing amazing work that, that you can kind of see a, a path towards getting things done. I think that the depression sets in when you feel alone and like you have no agency to actually affect the, the, the world around you. And then also, you know, dancing and food. Best medicine, right? Exactly. So you've worked on projects around the world. Uh, I was looking at all the things. I mean, it's like improving um, stoves, right? And catching rain in, in drought-stricken areas. You worked at a tofu factory? Wow. You, you've done some amazing research. Yeah. Um, I, I did work at, at the local tofu factory here in Humboldt. Shout out to Tofu Shop years ago. And more importantly, I love local food manufacturing. I think it's a, a vital component of community. All right. Well, have a great lecture. Break a leg. Thank you. Appreciate it. Welcome to my favorite lecture. There it is. We are back. This is our second season, and uh, we're really thrilled uh, to have our season premiere with tonight's lecturer, Lonnie Graf, and I'll tell you more about him in a minute. If you're new to it, we just get lecturers. They volunteer their time. They talk about whatever they want. The only stipulation is they have to love it. So that's what we're going to hear tonight. That's what we do at my favorite lecture. And uh, we'll have some Q&A afterwards, so if you have questions, hold on to them. Tonight's lecture is an overachiever. Uh, he's a patent holder, he is an author, he is an educator, and he works around the globe on a broad spectrum of sustainability and community-based initiatives. They include solar power, micro-hydropower, rainwater catchment, earthen construction, plastic bottle schoolrooms, uh, and throughout all of these, he says that the most vital component is not the technology, it is the community itself. So he's going to tell us about that. 
Uh, he works locally on a lot of things, um, and he also works internationally because the dancing is better. So that's a little hurtful. Please make welcome Lonnie Grafman. Hi, everyone. A um, couple corrections. One, lecturers do not volunteer for this position. Mike hounds lecturers until they give in. <laughs> but I'm so happy, I'm so happy to be here. Um, another correction that might or might not work, um, I'm planning on having them talk in the middle. Are you going to be able to work that out? Like, okay, thank you. So first thing I need you to do is to stand up and find someone in this room. Don't do it yet. I'm going to say, I'm going to say one. Find somebody in this room that you don't know. Introduce yourself with your name. And where you're from, whatever that means to you. And Humboldt, that has all types of meanings. It's like if you've been here like 15 years, are you local? I don't know. Um, and, then, uh, and then remember what that person told you for the next step. Okay, you got a minute and a half. Stand up, find someone you don't know, introduce yourself. Hey, everyone. Um, so... If I, can grab, if I can grab your attention, stay standing. Uh, mom, thanks for the bell. This is so cool, presenting in my own community. I literally just got to say, Mom, thanks for the bell. And <laughs> that's rad. <laughs> um, okay, so now take your team of two, find another team of two. It's cool if you know them or not. And then create, introduce the other person and create a secret handshake. Go. Yeah. All right. So you need to... Hi, everyone. A couple things. One, you need to stay with your team because I'm going to have questions for you. Um, second thing, is anyone willing to demonstrate their secret handshake and make it less than secret? Okay, right there. Can you, can you show us? What do you got? Oh, yeah. Oh. Nice. <laughs> nice. Very nice. All right. So stay with your team. Somehow find seats. And uh, I, I think you can make this work. Feel free to move the seats. All right. Um, thank you. So there's a couple reasons we did this. Uh, one, it ties together the, the entire talk and just demonstrates very briefly what, what I do, which is um, I get to work with all types of amazing, crazy, wild, diverse people to make gorgeous, awesome, sometimes catastrophes, but usually brilliant things happen. A lot of you are actually in this room. <laughs> the brilliant part. <laughs> So with your group, in just one minute, I want you to talk and come up with some of the top problems facing humanity, and then I'm going to have a few of you yell it out. So with your group, top problems facing humanity, either in your community or globally, with your group. Three seconds. Two. One. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> All right. So, so starting at the back, I, I want you to just, one per team, just, what do you got? Yell out just one of yours as a team, and then just keep... Climate change. Climate change, all right. Next team. Lack of potable water. Lack of potable water. Great. Next one. Access to quality education. Access to quality education. Next one. Species loss. Species loss. Next. Gun violence. Gun violence. Ooh. Clean coal. Clean coal. <laughs> Never thought I'd say those two words directly together. Next. Globalization. I wrote some of these up here in red because it's menacing. Climate change, drought, famine, poverty, war, disease, natural disaster, pollution, corruption, apathy, sea level rise. That is not what this presentation is about. <laughs> what it's about is the countless solutions that already exist. Right? All right, I'll clap for that. Yeah, sure. As a technologist, as someone who teaches engineering design, I really believe that most of the solutions to our problems already exist. Right? It's, about, it's about equity. It's about distribution. It's about figuring out how to work together and make those happen. Two of the lenses I do this through. One is practivism. Right? The world needs activists. It needs people telling people what's wrong with the world. I just don't have the constitution for that personally. 
right? It's hard for me to say no a lot, right? I probably would not be a great, like, dog owner at the minimum, but there's other, there's, I have other issues. <laughs> so instead, I work through a lens called practivism. And the idea is, let's build stuff better so that people just want to do that thing, right? And I do that with something called point-positive design. I stole that word from kayaking. Are there any kayakers here? Okay, all right. When, when you're kayaking and you see, and there's people following you, and you see a hole or uh, a drainer or an obstacle, do you point to that? No. What do you point to instead? Point you point positive. You point to the path. You point to the direction people want to go. Anybody ride a motorcycle? When you, ride a, when you ride a motorcycle, you don't look at the obstacle. You look at the obstacle, you hit the obstacle. Right? You look at which way you want to go. And that's the idea of point-positive design. Here's a context. New York City. Nature deficit disorder. Maybe not a real disorder yet. But the idea is, is, and it's hard to remember this when you're in Humboldt, but there's people who literally never touch nature. Right? And, and there's meaningful impacts to their lives. Also, urban food deserts. Or, judging from this crowd, maybe I should take it to the next level and say urban food apartheid. Right? You have places in New York like the one I'm about to show, where 75% of all of the food in the Northeast comes right through Hunts Point in, uh, in the Bronx, and none of that food stays. People go work at the packaging plants, they come home at night, they can't bring that food. Right? They're lucky to find you know, a bruised apple at a corner store. Also in New York, it's illegal to grow public food for public use. Can't do it. So... Back with your group in one minute again. You're doing a great job. How could you address that? How could you address the fact that there's a lack of nature, that there's, there's lack of access to food, and yet you can't grow public food for public use in New York? Okay, you got one minute. Go with your team. If you don't have a team, make a team back there. Fifteen seconds. Five, four, three. All right. Oh, wow. You're, you're so good at this. Thank you so much. Starting over here, I, I want to hear like maybe four. So just yell out some ways we could do, we could address this. What do you got? Ron Finley. Yeah. Ron, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, he, was, he was here a couple, a couple of days ago. We were talking about this, this project specifically. Just bring him out there and have him tell people what's up. I like that. Um, all right, what, what else? Give me some other things we could do. Yeah. As Ron Finley would say, just do it. Just, right, right. Like, who cares about the law, right? I'm, I, I teach at HSU. Administrators out here, I do not tell my students to break the law. But here we are at a community lecture. Maybe you got to break the law. <laughs> I'm just saying. Sometimes it works. Okay, what else could you do? Yeah. Rooftop gardens. Rooftop gardens. Yeah. What do you got? A non-public co-op. And you know, in fact, there's a whole bunch of great work being done on community gardens that are private, but there's a lot of access. Right? Um, give me a couple more. There you go. Say, you know, advocate uh, policy change. Absolutely. Meetings, go to Head Start meetings, first five meetings, PTA meetings, something like that. So, it's really surprising how much you can actually change the law in places. Like if you just get, get active, right? Like you advocate for change. All right. Um, these, are, these are great. I love these. I put them in blue up here on the screen. Take legal action. Do it illegally. <laughs> Protest. Political action. Advertising campaigns like community-based social marketing. There's one more thing you need to know. In the U.S., the water has different laws. So what could you do? Bring it on the water. You could do education, or you could just bring it up, but do it on the water. And that's what we did. We built Swale, a floating food forest. In, in 2016, <laughs> I love this iron. In 2016, this was an artist's rendering of what we were thinking about doing. That's my artistic rendering, literally the limits of my artistic ability, and I had help, um, uh, of, of what we were hoping to make. And so we took this barge, 5,000 square foot sand barge, 
and we put houses or house on it, uh, 300 different types of edible and medicinal local native plants. Um, and we built it kind of flat. That's a photo from the sky. We built it kind of flat. We took bladders and we cut them open and used them as soil beds just so we could prototype the idea. We used single pieces of two by four to build 12,000 pound planters that we then craned on top with all of the hope a person could have and a really subtle crane hand, not mine, right? Like just, you know, hoping it would get on because we were trying to prove that this was a good idea and people would want it. Um, and uh, we were at four or five different ports that year. In the Bronx, youth ages 16 to 24 took over all of the program. They actually helped come uh, build with us. They stayed in tents up in Verplank, New York. And then when we got to the Bronx, they were ready to engage with their local citizenry. They taught food cooking classes, food dyeing classes, medicine classes, food justice classes, and they had a DJ booth. (laughs) We were in the Huffington Post. We were in American Airlines, which was really fun to find. They put us as the 21 top things to see in New York, and they wrote it in October, and we closed in September. Um, <laughs> but just for the winner. Um, and, uh, and so we did what any great organization we would do. Once we proved it worked and people wanted it, we improved the logo. What? <laughs> and I, I think you'd agree that that's a much better logo, right? 2017 right there. Um, and, and what we wanted to do was to build it up with hills, an atmosphere, like nature, like you're really immersed in it. This was the artist's rendering of what it would look like, like trees and orchard. And uh, paths through it. And that is not an artist's rendering. That is the bars being pushed through Manhattan. So this is, what, this is what that ended up looking like. Now, it's hard to tell just from the photos what this feels like, but it's quite surreal because, you, you know, the human brain just isn't made to quite understand it. So you're sitting in it, and you have everything around you is edible and medicinal. You can just graze, and there's trees and hills And then the way it looks is that the city is bobbing in the background, right? You're not bobbing because you see trees. So that means the skyscrapers are like... um, And uh, every day, different classes, cooking, rainwater. Uh, um, We were on Now This and a whole bunch of other places. We had 110,000 visitors over the two years and 400 million media impressions. And here's the thing. Often in the media, they would talk about like this as being a solution to, to hunger or to food justice. It isn't. If we have to grow our food on barges, we're in trouble, right? <laughs> like, the idea was to make a practicist direct engagement to change the law, right? To prove that this was a need. My first day returning to Swale in 2017, I was the, the project manager and did the build out in 2016. And my first day back in 2017, I'm on the barge for less than two minutes. And this kid comes running up to his mom. He's like, mommy, mommy, look, that grew from this. And he's pointing at kale and he's got a kale seed in his hand. And, and the, 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 the boy was just amazed. And the mom turned to us and, and she looked almost like embarrassed. And she's like, oh, there's just not enough nature up here in the Bronx. And she shouldn't be embarrassed. The whole world should be embarrassed. You know? Earlier, someone said urbanization was a problem. Like, does it have to be a problem? Well, it sure does when we're so disconnected from nature and from each other. And I get that. I was a city kid. I'm, the first time I saw a strawberry growing, like really growing, it blew my mind. I was maybe five. I was with my mom, and we were visiting one of her friends' house, and she had a bowl of strawberries, and she just let me kept eating and eating and eating, and it was amazing. I, like, gorged on strawberries. They're amazing. And later on, we were out back, and she's like, oh, that's, that's where those strawberries came from. She pointed at her strawberry plant, and just pow. And I think that's part of why I got into engineering and design, the idea that we can just make what we need. And that's what we try to do. And so our goal was to, like, exceed this idea, and we exceeded that goal. This is the New York Parks building. They just broke ground on a foodway, on soil, on the ground. They're going to see how it goes. I got to give a special shout out to the Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice, who have been such an amazing community partner in making this stuff happen. And now I want to take a step back in history. 2009. If you were in New York, it might have surprised you how little awareness there was of environmental issues. And the people who were aware often felt completely disconnected and apathetic. So 
This whale project wasn't our first project on a barge. We actually built this water world looking thing back in 2009. We had five artists living for five months on this barge. It had concerts and daily visitors and rainwater catchment and composting toilets and aeroponics and hydroponics and soil gardens and chickens and composting toilet and gray water treatment. And pretty much it was Arcata floating through New York City, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like you all be surprised how many people are like, chickens? What? <laughs> also, the chickens were quite surprised. If you're going to raise chickens on a barge, start them young. That's just like, I think... <laughs> I think that's also another thing that we learned. We shipped a thousand pounds of projects from HSU students. We shipped to New York for this. Eleven projects. One of the questions, one of the many questions we had is, how are we going to power the laptops in a way that is educational? So we had solar power, so we could have just run wires. The idea is, how can we engage in it in a way that, that has a deeper amount of education? So maybe just think about it for a second, picture what you do, and then maybe it was this. Um, <laughs> like that was what you're thinking, right? <laughs> so uh, two of the teams built pedal power that were powering five one laptop per child laptops that then had information about all the different technologies that were on the barge so you could learn about them and do them at home. One of the students on this team, he had already done kind of bike power type stuff before, so he was really excited to get on this project. And after this project, he had a bigger question. That question was, how can I make transportation more sustainable and exciting. Like, bicycles are a great form of transportation, but how do I make it more accessible, exciting, as Ron Finley would say, sexy, right? <laughs> and that's what he came up with. So he just got named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Mike Radenbach, he's from, from here. Uh, this is his company, Rad Power Bikes. I just went on a tour on these in Seattle. So much fun. And it takes advantage of this type of learning that happens when you work with community and find out what people really want. It has a throttle, but it's not, no one really uses it. What it has instead is a power assist. So you set it to like 10% and you're like, just a little extra strong, right? You set it to like 80% and you're like, whoa, you're like pedaling uphill and you feel like you're pedaling downhill. Right? Um, totally different subject. No, it's not. It's the same subject. Different name. Appropriate technology. I teach appropriate technology. I thought I'd finally take this opportunity to tell people what appropriate technology is. The term was coined a long time ago. Often it's any technology that meets current needs by leveraging available resources while bolstering local capacity and protecting the future. I might have put in the bolstering local capacity part. The things it has to consider. Can it be maintained? Can it be adapted with local know-how? What are the cultural, political, economic, geographic sociocultural impacts. And for me, a great appropriate technology is not just built for, it's built by. When you build with people, you get to the solutions that are actually, that are actually needed because you figure out what the real problems are. But it's real messy. The way I do that often is through needs and resources meetings. I just get a bunch of people together and we, just, we ask those questions. What are the top needs? Then we prioritize them together in all different types of ways. Sometimes we prioritize it by, by loudest. You have someone stand outside, and then you just point to the different needs that people have come up with, and then people are loud, and the person outside says, oh, number three was the loudest. And then they come in, and they're like, oh, look, the top need was solar. Right? And then we figure out the top resources. What do people have? So here we are in Las Malvinas, in, in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. This is an ad hoc community that has grown slowly right on the edge of town. On the, the River Isabel, there's manufacturing, and people used to come there to work and then go back home far away, and then they just started staying in, 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 in little shanties, and then their families came, and now they're building houses and a whole community there. And their school, they have a little school there, but they ran out of space. So they have more students, they have school, but people can't leave that community, so there are students who just couldn't go to school. They also have a lot of trash, a lot of know-how, a lot of bamboo, and a lot of kids. Here's some of the kids. There's some people in this audience who are in this photo, which is awesome. So we collected like 8,000 bottles, which took like no time at all. Um, <laughs> and we prototyped a whole bunch. These are kind of the things that HSU students can bring. So everybody brings something to a project. HSU students bring internet access, good research ability, sometimes testing ability, and the time to prototype. And we tried out different methods, and we came up with this method of building with plastic bottles to make a schoolroom. And so here's the final picture. 
You can see a truth window where you can tell it's still made by plastic bottles, sawdust finish, broken tile floor, waste material uh, um, is that top trim. These are 48 students, 24 in the morning and 24 in the afternoon that couldn't have gone to school before, that now have access to an education. Oh, thank you. Is, I love the clapping. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> uh, so, so that project was so successful, we're really excited for the next project. And the next, the next project was uh, a public pharmacy. So they want to build a public pharmacy, but perfect. We already know how to build with plastic bottles. We prototyped it. We've done it all. Great, let's get started. So we go out there. We start prototyping with the community. And the community's like, no, that is not going to work because... Once thieves see that it's made out of plastic bottles, they're just going to break in to steal stuff from the pharmacy, which I wish was true about education. Like, that would be awesome. Like, don't build out of plastic bottles. People will break in to get an education. But, uh, but, but no. So we went back to the drawing board. And uh, so no on the plastic bottles. We found out that another waste material was rice husks. So we work with rice husk and rice husk ash and sand and cement and uh, clay. And there's other people in the audience right now who spent way too much blood, sweat, and tears on this project. We've made thousands of blocks, 3,000. Uh, there are some of them being made. And there is us testing, and this is the building almost finished. I like this. I have photos of the building finished, but I like this photo because you can see there's a reporter in front, very serious. He's never been in this community. He had no idea how to find this community. And then you can see all of my project partners in the back. These are, these are people that I've, I've bled with and danced with and ate with and you know, just you know, slept in tiny rooms with. And this is the only time I've ever seen them with hard hats. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look, if you've done construction, they're all brand new hard hats. And I love how everyone's just like pointing. Like... <laughs> Oh, yes, this thing right here. <laughs> Thank you, local media. Um, so so I, I, now, I now want to switch to another community. Um, I, eventually, I'm going to have to skip some of these slides, but I'm just looking around the audience and seeing who in here has worked on different projects. So here's, here's one from another community member. Uh, this is in Aurora Norte. They're a community in Dominican Republic that lives on the dump. And if you're ever traveling and you want to learn about a place, visit Away. And wherever you go, in your own community, but also when you travel, Away is a very interesting place. It's where we send our stuff. It's where stuff goes once it disappears from our existence, right? Down the drain, goes away. We actually, we're in Arcata, we're the, some of the few people who have actually visited where our water goes, right? The Arcata Marsh. But, uh, but the dump, the landfill, another interesting place. They, this is a community that lives on the landfill. Their top need was not education because they need money first. They need jobs first. And then they'll be able to afford more education. Right? They, know that they, need it. they know that they need education for the kids, but there's just too many immediate needs like eating. Right? Uh, and so work together to figure out what waste we were going to work with. HDP ended up being the top, contain- top contender because of its ability to be upcycled. Uh, the community built a lab in just days. And then we worked out a process of hand-trimming HDPE and then using a sandwich press and parchment paper or banana leaves to make those tiles. And, and as you can see, like, okay, so radio audience, you've heard that sound. These are actually gorgeous tiles, right? Um, and we were pretty stoked, except unfortunately, those tiles are really hard to scale up. So what we have happening now is we have teams here at HSU that are figuring out how much pressure exactly do you need? What process could you use to make these tiles? And at the same time, we have another team that's working on plastic extrusion and taking like a 3D filament extruder and turning it into strips. So you're extruding strips that can, then can be woven together using kind of vernacular techniques of weaving. And you can see that we made baskets and, and purses. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the leader of this project uh, passed away way too young um, in, in his mid-20s. And so right now this project is, is kind of looking for, for somebody who can speak the many languages that are needed, the, the language of people that live in the community, but also the language of the rich people who we need to buy this stuff. <laughs> There's a few people in here who were friends with him. So it's kind of want to say hey to Luis. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. Solar power project. 
This one is an animal shelter, hundred and over a hundred dogs and cats. That's why I did this one, right? That's because the dogs are cute. They're like cute puppies. Um, uh, this one, lots of interesting techniques were used in this. One of the interesting things is we hid the solar panels, right? Because community partners understood that if people could see the solar panels, the solar panels would be stolen. Right? That's why it's so important to design together. Right? Because if you, if just like you HSU students designed this and built this, it would be all you know pretty and there'd be it would be instructive and educational. But that we just needed to remain. This community only gets energy three hours a day, but you don't know which three hours. It's really hard to run an animal shelter like that. When we showed up, they had had three days without power. And there's no cell phone reception. They're like, oh, we're so sorry. There's no batteries left for the power tools. There's nothing we can do. So we just built it on the ground first had the power tools to build the rest of the system and then put it up, which is like one of the coolest solar like baller stories I have. It's like, it's all right, we brought our own power plant. <laughs> I like this project, but a project I like even more is this one. What we did is we had U.S. students and Dominican students working with our Dominican partners to create a solar workshop series. And what we did is we just advertised to the local electricians, whoever identified as an electrician, and said, okay, like, this is solar power. So you can see us working with tiny instruments, little tiny solar power things, figuring it all out. And then this is us designing a large system together. And that picture in the upper right is one of my favorite photos of me on a solar project. You can see there's me with the red hat at the beginning. I'm, like, super engaged. I'm, like, there teaching. Like, right? But the real photo I love is this one where I can't get to the front. Like, I'm trying to figure out what people are teaching each other because what happened is partway through it, the, the local participants just took it over. The projects that, that we get to build are, are just a small piece of it. Much more important is how many projects get built after it. I know when I've done my job right when I become irrelevant, which happens really fast. <laughs> all right, clap for me being irrelevant. I love, I love you all. <laughs> Best audience ever. Um, all right, let's come back to some local projects. Friends of the Dunes. If you haven't been there, go there. It's pretty awesome. They have a problem about what to do with the beach grass. So go ahead with your team. What are some things we could do with the invasive beach grass? How could we eradicate it? Go for it. One minute break off group. Fifteen seconds. Hey everyone. What did you come up with? What are some of the things you could do with it? Maybe start easy. What do you got? Yeah. Goats. Goats are a good, goats are a nice, like, humble answer to a lot of things. We're like, why don't we get a goat? Very few other people in the country, in this country, say, we should get a goat. <laughs> what else do you got? Fuel. Yeah, try to convert it into fuel. So we proposed, we proposed this to students, this problem we proposed to students. How do we get rid of it? Right. And I thought that they would come up with, someone would try to make fuel out of it, someone would try to make mats out of it. What we had was one team came up with this thing, a stretch barrow. So you can just pull it and get rid of it easier. A big need was like, how can you get it off of the dunes? And this thing just carries it a lot better, and they're still using this. It can be used with two people or just one person. The next team... They did one of my favorite things was they didn't take any of my advice. They just took a step back from the framework and said, you know what? We're not going to come up with a use. What we're going to do is bail it. We're going to bail beach grass and then other people can figure out what to do with it. <laughs> and so they built a prototype baler just to show what it would look like. And their original bales went right away. They then turned that into insulation in a, a greenhouse. So this is beach grass slip insulation, the first we know of of its type. This is a carbon sink wall. This is invasive species that would have been pulled out and burned and released into the atmosphere that have been turned into a building material. This is what it looks like, this gorgeous photo, and then those are sensors testing to see if this is actually working. Right. Like this is a solution that came up from multiple teams of local community members, friends of the dunes, and HSU students working together and coming up with the technology that could be a, a, a major piece of insulation and carbon sink, carbon sink construction in the future. 
All right, I want to talk about rainwater in part because I just finished writing my first book, which is a rainwater book. I'm pretty excited about. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about built rainwater catchment systems for the next few minutes. These are these are where you have like a roof and uh, um, and a storage container and maybe a first flush to get rid of the dirty water, maybe some filters. The average U.S. house catches 33,000 gallons per year of water. The problem is rarely how much can you catch. The problem is like how much can you store and distribute when you need it. Um, so here we are at a public school in Santo Domingo. I'm just going to flash through some of these stories. This school that we were working with for years is in a community called La Yuca de Naco. This community has um, uh, roads that are five and a half feet wide. So as you walk, you can touch both walls. If you're carrying your rainwater catchment gear and a moped is coming towards you, you get real creative with your like acro yoga moves to make sure that you can pass each other. Um, so we're working with this school. This is a plastic bottle schoolroom we built at the school to figure out how to deal with their water issues. And one of the main water issues is that some people in this community are spending up to 40% of their income on clean water. And a truth around a lot of the world is that poor people pay more for their water than rich people. Not more percentage of their income, literally more for their water than, than rich people. So some people spending 40% of their income on water. This school was buying two trucks of water a month and there was no, there was no hand washing in their bathrooms and their toilet was only being flushed once a night by maintenance, who would pull the water out of the cistern, because the finances were just too bad. So we all worked together, multiple years of iteration, to come up with a system that now has rainwater direct with no pump to a shower and to hand washing. The hand washing, every three or so times you wash your hands, it fills the toilet enough so you can flush the toilet. And they're only buying two trucks of water a year instead of truck trucks a month. Thanks. Uh, now I'm going to go far, far away to southern Mexico, Chiapas. In this community, they have three-month dry season where they have to drink surface water. And so they got together and we collectively designed a system that has a bunch of unique features. But my favorite unique feature of it is it's collecting off of multiple roofs into one 19,000-liter ferro-cement liter, 19, ferro tank that then is used for the whole community. So it's this communal act that is it's legally hard to do in the U.S., and it's also even just kind of hard to think of. Oh, we're going to catch off of multiple roofs. We're not going to meter anything, and then everyone's going to use this water in a productive way. Let's come back home, Eureka, California. This is a group of students working with Zane Middle School, create this 500-gallon system. That is an improved garden system that another team built. There is an edible landscaping that another team built. And here's the rainwater catchment system. It has a brilliant feature in it, a feature I don't think anyone's ever seen. It comes only from the creativity of working directly with the people who are going to be using it to co-design. It's that zip tie and that flex fitting. Those two things. Why are they there? Yeah. Damn, wow. First shot, one shot, one kill. That's a great answer. That zip tie and that flex fitting is there because kids jump up and grab stuff and try to climb onto the roof. And now I might be giving something away. Hopefully, Zane Middle School students are not listening to this radio show. But this is what happens now. What would have happened is they jump up, they break the pipe, they break the awning. Instead, what happens is they jump up, the zip tie breaks, the pipe comes down, and you run, right? Like, and you never tell anyone that you broke the rainwater catchment system. Right? But then what staff does is they come back and they replace the zip tie. It's five cents. In the, in the past, uh, um, how many years has this been? In the past four years, it's cost 15 cents to fix the system. Three, to <laughs> three times they replace the zip tie. So, Arcata Sanctuary another local amazing resource. One of the questions that they had is, how could we stop flushing with clean water? Right? Let's, let's just reflect for a second on the fact that we poop in the cleanest water that most people ever have access to. So how, how can we do that? Go ahead, you got a one minute. Talk with your team. How could you stop doing that?
15 seconds. I don't know if that bell went. Hi, everyone. Give me a few of your answers. What do you got? Build a sink directly above your toilet. I like that. What do you got? Yeah, collect your gray water from the other things you're using in your house and use that to flush with. Just a composting toilet, right? Like, and then save that resource, that you manure resource, and use it on site. So what this team did was they developed a system where when you flush the toilet, the water goes through the sink first before it goes into the bowl of your toilet. It looks kind of gross at first because you flush the toilet and all of a sudden the sink starts and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> so they also painted a mural to explain how it's happening because art and whimsy is vital. This system uses very little piping to make it all work out. You have the sink and toilet so close together. We just worked with a team in Puerto Rico. This community group called the Institute for Socio-Environmental Research was spending $8,000 on a system that treats 250 gallons of water every two hours. And they're not technicians. They're a group, a social group, that happened to be on the ground and see what was happening and figured that they had to become a technical group because the problems were technical. But the problems are never just technical. They're also social. So we worked together to come up with a system using off-the-shelf parts. We were able to take this, this $3,000 system and recreate it with off-the-shelf parts for $800. Same throughput, same everything. So now we can treat 10 times more water, which means 10 times more people getting access to clean water. A lot of this stuff is covered in the book that I had the, the luck of getting to write. It was published by HSU Press, and we did a Kickstarter to try to get the book translated into Spanish and Kiswahili and get it into more people's hands. We were trying to raise $7,000. We had 315 backers raise $14,000, um, which is just incredibly heartwarming experience. I'm really excited all of these projects are shared on Apropedia, right? Apropedia is a website, a, a fairly ugly website. It's a website with thousands of pages, over 75 million views. And my favorite number is it's been edited over 350,000 times by people all over the world taking their own time to try to make the world a better place by sharing their technologies. It's the definition box on Google for a whole bunch of search terms. And that project started here in Humboldt. Yeah, right? <laughs> Yay, humble. But all this starts with the chaos of community building and trusting that something will happen if you get together, especially if you get out there and try to create a better future together, starting right now if you haven't started already, and also figuring out how to overcome your differences because they're so small in comparison to the things we're fighting against. And also, they make a better project. If you don't agree with people that you're working with, your project will be better. But you have to fig we have to figure out how to compromise. Here's just a small section of the projects at Zane Middle School that we've been partnering with for multiple years. We have composting system, improved gardens, upcycled songbird housing, solar robot charger, a child-based sundial in the concrete, permeable pavement, native landscaping, uh, uh, upcycled urbanite landscaping, a fidget desk, uh, um, an animal, I don't know what to call it, an animal visitation station out of vinyl records, a recycling cart, and edible landscaping. That's just a small percentage of the projects that sophomore level university students have built. I think I have some time for questions. Am I, where's my, am I getting, am I, am I getting the timing right? Pretty much. Yeah. We're, you got more? I have more time. Oh, sweet. All right. I have more projects. Also, <laughs> so let's look at some more projects. Oh, here's a fun one. Worked in Eureka to do another rainwater catchment system. I like this one because in Eureka, there's a setback law that we violated. <laughs> and so, which I wish we would have known about ahead of time. But instead, we work with local lawyers, local engineers, students, and community members to change the law of Eureka. So now, if you want to build a rainwater catchment system and the best spot on your property is not within the setback law, no problem. There's an exemption for you. So you can build it where you want. Yeah, nice, thank you. Um, I'm going to go to questions and answers. Oh, hello, Lonnie. Uh, 
I have a question about local and state ordinances on cisterns, catchment systems. How do you move forward with it? There is some restriction on the state level that I know of, and locally you just mentioned your variance that you got on that ordinance, and, and how does it apply statewide and in other counties? I love this question, and it's something that I'm very bad at. So I'm going to spend, very, I'm going to spend a short amount of time answering it. One, rainwater catchment systems are, are legal in most places to a certain size. Right? And so often the problem becomes when you're building a larger cistern. I think that the, the right approach is to get groups of people together that want that and then to, to prove why it's needed. And I think now more than ever, it's obvious why it's needed. Municipalities and states are ready to start changing the law because we need to start distributing our resources. A lot of these technologies are about distributed resources, distributed energy, distributed water. I also, not that we covered it in this presentation, but distributed financial instruments, um, distributed food, distributed governance, this leaves us with a community that's more resilient. And when we're in a time of global climate weirding, that resilience becomes more and more vital, right? Because we need to be able to have local capacity to deal with these problems. And so when you can say, hey, this rainwater catchment tank I have is also going to provide clean water in case of a natural disaster if we're cut off from the world for days, I think it's a good pressure point. Thanks for the question. Are there any places where uh, like catching rainwater is illegal? There is. There's, a, there's a, a very sad history of it, in fact. I mean, you can go back to 2000 in Bolivia where, where people lost their lives in protest when Bechtel bought the rights to the water. Right? And uh, um, they now own the rights to the water again. Uh, Bechtel sued Bolivia and then eventually settled for, for a dollar, I believe. Uh, Colorado was illegal for a long time, but they recently made it legal. Um, and I think more and more places are making it legal, and some places are making it mandatory. Right? Yeah. What are the reasons for making it illegal? Uh, these, are, these are great questions, and I should also point out that I am in no way a legal expert, and in fact, quite bad at it. But I'm also going to, I also have researched rainwater a lot, so hopefully I can answer your question. In Colorado, it was illegal because of the first rights of water. So if you we're at the bottom of a watershed, and you had had the rights to that water for 100 years, and someone then builds a house in that watershed, the water that fell there actually belonged to you. And I think what municipalities and states are finding out is that rainwater catchment is often helping. It's not really stealing water because that water was falling on an impermeable surface and then causing erosion and then picking up trash and dirtiness and making the river dirtier. And so collecting is often helping the, the watershed. And I think it's part of the reason that that law is changing. Um, in, in other places, I'm not, that's the only one I know for sure the reason why. Did that answer your question somewhat? All right, great. What um, do, what is your like synopsis or just ideas about desalination plants? Because you know you work in the Dominican Republic and uh, they're surrounded by a lot of water, and like using like those type of systems to help appropriate water sources. Thanks. These are these are very specific and excellent rainwater questions, and I'm loving them. Uh, or water questions. Uh, I think desalination is probably going to be expensive and difficult for a very long time, and I think. That, that the pursuit of it is evidence of, of, of a problem, right? I think that, I, I think that, all right, there's a, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know if the radio audience can hear that, but um, uh, so there's a bunch of reasons why you have to go to desalination. And I think addressing those reasons why will build a much safer infrastructure, right? Um, we have no connection to our water use. We don't have a, a real good way to see how much we're using and where it's going. I think that building gray water systems, I think that building rainwater systems to engaging your citizenry in wise water is a much safer and more economical and, uh, and, and just wiser approach to the problem. That said, I think we should still keep pursuing the desalination because maybe we're going to find a way of doing it that isn't so, so difficult. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, so what would you say to a person who is not in STEM and wants to like be involved and do things? Because I'm not in STEM. But 
I got energy and I like to do stuff, but I know a lot of people in here might not be in like science or math or, you know, engineering or any type of physical technology, or you might be more on like the social tip of things. Um, what would you say to someone who like is scared of math, but wants to do stuff? So w- what I would say to someone who's not in STEM is welcome. Uh, uh, I think if you have only one STEM person on team, you're probably doing great. If your team is all STEM people, probably going to build an awesome project for the wrong problem. That's what I, that's what I think. Like, I think we have to, we have to work together, and, I, and, and we have to figure out how to come up with common language to do that. Right? And I think that often STEM people are probably the ones that are going to have to change their language the most, because if these projects are supposed to be used by people, then you want the language of the people that are using it. Right? But it's not just language. You know, we need history. We need cultural context. You need to be able to you know, deconstruct why this problem is even existing to come up with the solution. And you don't have to do that in an academic way. You know, it doesn't have, you don't have to have like those academic words about that. You can just sit together and be like, oh, what's the problem? You know, and how did we get here and how do we get out of it together? And so I would also ask if you're on a team attacking issues and you have no STEM people, maybe you can say, welcome, we're glad you're here to a STEM person. I, I think this will be the last question is that I'll let me bring you a microphone and then. It was just because I saw a number of people that are not in STEM to their neighbor and say, what is STEM? Thank you. Science, technology, engineering, and math. That would be a great example of common language. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Please give it up for Lonnie Grafman. Thank you. And that is our show. If you like what you heard, feel free to share it with a friend. It's posted at khsu.org. My Favorite Lecture is a collaboration between Humboldt State University, KHSU, and Arcata Main Street. It is produced by Katie Whiteside, Frank Whitlatch, Jeanette Todd, and myself. Our live sound engineer is Chris Pereira. Mark Jeffers is our recording engineer. Special thanks to the Plaza Grill, to Vicki Joyce, Lost Coast Light and Sound, Hugh Dalton, Lonnie Grafman, and Lonnie Grafman's mom. Check out the show notes online. We've got a slideshow posted as well as so many links to all the things that he talked about. Apropedia, Swale, all that stuff. Just search for My Favorite Lecture at khsu.org. My Favorite Lecture is on Facebook, and so is KHSU, so we hope to see you over there. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. Leave us a review if you like what you heard. This is Mike Dronkers, and we will see you next time at My Favorite Lecture. My Favorite Lecture.